Welcome to Timeless Truth with Pastor Jim Thomas, a resource of the Village Chapel in Nashville, Tennessee. This week we continue our study of the Gospel of Mark. To find studies of other books of the Bible from our archive, you can search our sermon library at thevillagechapel.com resources. We pray these studies will help you to think biblically in all categories of life so that we all might be formed more into the likeness of Christ. Now, here's Pastor Jim. Hey, I'm so glad you've joined me today for our continuing study of Mark's gospel. Today in chapter 2, just a few verses, but a remarkable passage where we will find two words of Jesus that can dramatically change your life, our life, forever. But oh my, my, take a look at the person Jesus called with those two words. Let me read Matthew 2, uh, verses 13 through 17. It goes just like this. Jesus went out again by the seashore, and all the multitude were coming to him, and he was teaching them. Now, I'll remind you, he was in the ancient town of Capernaum on the northwest shore of the Sea of Galilee. I've been there six times. I love to visit that place and to walk where Jesus walked and to imagine some of these things that we're reading here in Mark's gospel. Verse 14, as Jesus passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting in the tax office. And he said to him, and here's the two words, follow me. And he rose and followed him. Wow. That's dramatic. I mean, it's it's amazing because of who it is Jesus is calling. But let me let me finish reading through verse 17 and we'll come back and take that apart a little bit. It came about that Jesus was reclining at table in Levi's house, and many tax gatherers and sinners were dining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many of them, and they were following him. And when the scribes of the Pharisees saw that he was eating with the sinners and tax gatherers, they began saying to his disciples, why is he eating and drinking with tax gatherers and sinners? And you see, for them, uh, man, this is not just you know, I mean, I know in our our Western world, especially in the United States anyway, we have the IRS and they collect our taxes and all that sort of thing. But this is a much more harsh sort of a situation than anything we know about. The tax, the tax collector, and especially Levi, who is a Jewish man, that's a Jewish name, um, typically they would be working for the Roman Empire, for the Roman government that was oppressive, uh, that was that was taxing on every at every different kind of level and from every different aspect that they could. These tax collectors that were Jews themselves were literally seen as traitors to all of their own people. They likely had bid for and told the Roman government, Roman authorities, "Hey, we think from this region, if you'll give me the post as tax collector, I can bring you this much money." And then typically the deals, as they're bid for these positions, they typically would be able to keep these tax collectors anything that they could extract from their own people higher than that set amount where they had taken the position, accepted the job, and got a contract with the Roman government. So Levi's incentivized 
to actually extort from his own people. He gets wealthy on the backs of his own people as much as he can tax them every little way that he can do it. He does it and that's how he gets rich. And that's why tax gatherers, tax collectors in that day and time who were Jews were considered the worst kind of sinner there could possibly be. So they turned their back on their own people. They would become traitors in every kind of way, personally, morally, um, and probably had stacks of cash at his, bo- his tax booth there, perhaps stacks of tax receipts and records, but no friends. Nobody from Israel would have been this guy's friend. They would have hated him. The only friends he would have would be the a house full of other tax collectors that we read about just then. And Jesus, after he tells Levi to come and follow him, Jesus goes to eat dinner at Levi's house. This is mind-blowing. From what we have read in Matthew's gospel, before those of you who have studied that with us or read it on your own, um, we're, we're pretty certain that Levi is the one that Jesus will begin to call Matthew. And it's so fascinating to me because... Levi, the tax collector, uses his pen to keep a record of what people owe. Matthew, his name means gift of God. And along comes Jesus and begins to transform this man, Levi, into not just a guy who keeps track and keeps a record of what people owe, but keeps a record, writing Matthew's gospel, keeps a record of what God has done for them. And that's just so amazing to me when I think about it. But there he is, Jesus, calling Levi to follow him. Levi rises and follows him immediately. He takes his pen with him, but that's all he takes with him. That's pretty shocking, isn't it? Had he ever heard Jesus preach before? Did he know Jesus at all? We don't know the answer to that question. All we're told here is that he hears Jesus say, follow me, and then he rose and followed him. The response was immediate. The response was surprising. Um, Probably even to Levi, as he stood up, he wondered what he was doing. He was literally saying goodbye to his career and to all the money, but also uh, who knows what a heavy conscience he had been, what a burdened conscience he had had and how, how much he thought of his own life as completely meaningless and how much guilt and shame he may have carried. Uh, for turning his back on his own people like that. Perhaps he'd heard Jesus preach. I don't know. If he's right there in Capernaum, it's quite possible he had done that. It's quite possible he had heard Jesus preaching the good news of God's grace and forgiveness on offer that the king that the time had come, the kingdom of heaven was at hand, and that people needed to repent and to believe the gospel. And perhaps on this particular day, he was ready to move, to make his move. So Jesus goes with him. They're in the house together. There's tax collectors and sinners there. The religious people, the scribes and the Pharisees, when they hear about that, verse 16, um, they hear about Jesus eating with the sinners and tax gatherers and, uh, and eating and drinking with them. They ask the question, why is he eating and drinking with the tax gatherers and the sinners? And man, religious people can surely get their... You know, themselves uh, sort of all uptight about stuff like this. Isn't that crazy? 
Hearing this, and that Jesus is aware of this. This is the last verse I'll read for today. Hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Oh, yeah. Oh, man, I don't know about you, but I'm actually glad to hear that. I'm glad to hear that Jesus came for those who know they're sick and they need a physician, the great physician. For those who know they're morally sick, they're spiritually sick, and, and, and yes, even sometimes uh, physically sick, and understand that we can turn to Jesus no matter what need we have, whether we're, we're struggling in our minds or in our hearts, um, whether we're struggling financially, physically, whatever it is, turning to Jesus is the very best thing we can do. doesn't mean we ignore um, the advice of others when it might come to things like financial counsel or when it might come to uh, seeing a doctor or taking a doctor's advice. No, uh, those things are still in bounds, but we turn to Jesus in any and all cases. We turn to him first and we give him all the glory and all the credit whenever he transforms and changes us like he changed Levi that day. Two words, follow me, that can change your life and my life. And I would say just two points from this uh, little passage. One, the inexplicable choice of Jesus. The Apostle Paul writes in Romans 5, 8, God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, Romans 5, 8. That's, man, that's so beautiful to be able to tell somebody that. So many people think that they will turn to the Lord as soon as they get their act together. And along comes the gospel and basically says, no, it's not up to you to get your life together. If you hear the call of Jesus saying, follow me, now is the time. Now is your day of salvation. The apostle Paul would later write to his young protege, Timothy, in 1 Timothy 1.15, it is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am foremost of all. That's the Apostle Paul saying that. So if you think you have to wait to get your act together, wait to, you know, before you turn to Jesus, you got to get your act together before that, don't even think about it. That's not it. That's not the case at all. The Apostle Paul himself recognized that Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And the Apostle Paul recognized that he was the chief among sinners. And I have to say, I'm the same way. I view myself this way. It's just a marvel and a wonder to me that the Lord called me, chose me, and called me at all. As I've said a gabillion times, I think the most often heard phrase or statement in heaven on the first day when everybody gets into heaven at some point, the most often heard phrase is going to be this. It's a question. And it's going to be this, what are you doing here? Yeah, and it's going to be asked of me and probably asked of you as well. Fact is, Jesus' guest list includes only sinners, even the vilest of sinners like Levi, the tax collector, the sinner. And God's invitation is to a complete renovation of your heart and my heart. He is ready to save, to redeem the outcast, the outsider, and all those who know they don't qualify.
they are on, you are, you and I are on his guest list. I love the way um, Pastor Dane Ortland in his book, Surprised by Jesus, said it. In the kingdom of God, the one thing that qualifies you is knowing that you don't qualify. And the one thing that disqualifies you is thinking that you do. <laughs> so that's great. That's so freeing to hear, isn't it? I used to think, says Steve Brown, another one of my favorite Bible teachers and a seminary professor now, used to be a pastor down in Florida. He says, I used to think that God liked only certain people, those who lived up to his standards, but I'm increasingly surprised by his choice of friends and even more surprised that his choice includes me. I agree. I agree with Mark's gospel. I agree with the Apostle Paul, I agree with Pastor Dane Ortland, and I agree with seminary professor Steve Brown. Levi heard the call. He stood up. He grabbed his pen, his paper. He left everything else behind and began to follow Jesus. And it shocked everybody. I'm certain his family. I'm certain his friends. I'm certain even that night when they all got together for dinner at Levi's house and they're all wearing, hello, my name is Badges. You know, if if Jesus changed Levi's name that day and he said, hello, my name is Matthew, and most of his friends are going, what's up with that? A great opportunity for Levi to share the gospel with them. And what an amazing thing it is that Jesus makes these kind of inexplicable choices. Well, the inexplicable choice of Jesus is definitely one of my two points from this passage. The second one is the irresistible call of Jesus. Why do you think... So many hundreds of thousands, no, millions upon millions of people who have heard Jesus say those same two words, follow me. Why do you think they've responded to that call to follow Jesus? I mean, what's so special about Jesus? Why was, why is the call of Jesus so irresistible? I think because Jesus was saying in his teaching and even in his deeds, what we all intuitively know, that we need outside help. We all intuitively admit that and know it. We can't save ourselves. We can't be good enough. We can't balance out the moral scales. We need outside help. And when somebody like Jesus comes along and begins to call people, who have the kind of track record that Levi had, that the Apostle Paul had, that Pastor Jim has had. When Jesus starts to call us, knowing full well all about people like us, that's such a beautiful, irresistible call. And we all know as well, um, those of us who've been Christians for a while, been going to church for a while, we need fewer moral policemen and more gospel paramedics in the church. We need more people carrying the good news, like a, a paramedic would, carrying the good news out to where real people are in their everyday lives, understanding intuitively that they need outside help as well. We need fewer people doing the moral policeman thing, handing out moral tickets for moral infractions and more people bringing help to the spiritually sick 
and needy. C.S. Lewis, in his excellent essay, The Weight of Glory, said, Our lifelong nostalgia, our longing to be reunited with something in the universe from which we now feel cut off, to be on the inside of some door which we've always seen from the outside, is no mere neurotic fancy, but the truest index of our real situation. We've all felt like we've been on the outside until we hear the call of Jesus. He initiates, it begins with him. He puts the call out. The question is, how do you respond? This call goes to sinners of all kinds. Um, What about you? Have you heard that call? Have you responded to that call? Are you ready to continue to walk and follow Jesus for the rest of your life, to rest in the good news of God's grace, his initiating sovereign grace that's at work in your life, not only when you first came to Christ, when you first became a believer, but it's in it's at work right now in your life as well. And to walk in the, the joy and the freedom of the good news of the gospel. Continue to believe that gospel. Continue to preach that gospel to yourself. I do it to myself every single day, reminding myself, I'm not saved by me being a good little Southerner or being a good pastor or reading my Bible or or tithing or whatever. No, I'm saved by the amazing grace of God in the person work of Jesus and by putting my faith, hope, and trust in Jesus. I'll close with a quote from a dear friend, Oz Guinness. He's got a, a book called The Call that I've just reread. It's an older book, but I just, man, I just, we, Kim and I were just going over it the other day, and I love this quote from Oz Guinness. I think he's really summarized it well. Do you want to know a truth that in the momentous challenges of our modern world will be at least a quest to inspire you and anchor to hold you fast, a rich fare to nourish you, and a relationship you will prize above all others. Listen to Jesus of Nazareth. Answer his call. Mm. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you came. You didn't have to. Thank you that you've chosen and called us. And as we hear that follow me from you today, perhaps in a new and a fresh way because of hearing this or reading this story about Levi, your disciple, who becomes Matthew. Lord, may we, each and every one of us, uh, um, sort of stand up and follow you today. That is, Lord, may we walk through this day and even at each and every intersection that we come to, relationships, um, uh, choices that we have to make, uh, impulses that rise up within us that we uh, need to reevaluate and think twice about, Lord. With all of that, Lord, surrendering ourselves to follow you, meaning to see things the way you see things, to want to go where you want to go, to not want to go where you don't want to go, to go at the pace you want to go. Lord, be our Savior, our King, our Redeemer, we pray in your precious name. Amen and amen. God bless you. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to today's study. Take a moment to leave a review and share this episode with friends and family. You can stay connected by signing up for our newsletter or follow us on social media. At the Village Chapel, we believe God's Word is unique in its source, timeless in its truth, broad in its reach, and transforming in its power. 
For more resources or to support our ministry, visit our website, thevillagechapel.com.